it's the fifth week we've been in this uh, book. Time flies when you're having fun, doesn't it? Um, so why don't you open up your Bibles to Colossians 2. Uh, we're going to go from verses 6 to 15. It'll um, come up on the screens, but encourage you to pull your Bible out. It's good f- to see where you are in Scripture. Um, but let me just pray real quick before we jump in. Lord, we Jesus, we thank you so much that you call us, Lord, to a life following you. And Lord, in that life where we follow you, we experience life to the full, but also you call us into so many adventures and things that we never anticipated we would be doing. Lord, I pray that you would call each person by name this morning. I pray that, Lord Jesus, you would let them know that you know them individually. Uh, But Lord, you would call us corporately as a church to come together and Lord, we would be open. We'd have a community that is open to your word, to allowing it to transform our hearts, to change our, our thinking, our, our thoughts. And Lord Jesus, that you would be glorified in this next 30 minutes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. Okay, so Colossians 2, 6 to 15. It says, So then, Just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and elemental spiritual forces of the world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all of the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which... Excuse me, you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Powerful words, absolutely powerful imagery used here. And uh, there's certainly a lot I could have run with this morning. I was kind of on the phone to John on uh, Thursday morning when I sat down to write and just said, I've got a few things running through my mind, just... Help me process out loud what's going on here. And um, I love the beginning, which talks about becoming followers of Jesus and being rooted in him in the ground and allowing those roots to grow and becoming more steady in Christ and, and maturing in him and, and, and actually being people who, who worship and focus on worshiping the Lord, regardless of circumstances, anything like that. Um, and actually I've landed in the second half. We're going to mainly focus on the second half this morning. It's a big chunk of scripture, a lot to it. Um, But I want to remind us that there are three main issues that are going on in the church. We discussed them at the beginning of the series, but I just want to remind us of what Paul's up against here with the church in Colossae. The first one is that they, (coughs) excuse me, they're very much 
um, uh, influenced by false teaching. We've got the Gnostics that uh, infiltrated the church with these false beliefs and basically teaching that Jesus isn't everything, that there is more knowledge to be acquired. Jesus is almost the first step on the ladder in this process of knowledge. And Paul, remember, he has to absolutely, with, with words, smash them with Jesus is supreme, you know. Um, and then we also, the second problem is, is that they've got this pagan culture of worshipping whichever God whenever it suits you. So they've steeped in this pagan culture in Colossae. And lastly, um, as if that wasn't enough, they've got, we know they've got Jewish people within the church who are bringing their traditions and their law and they're bringing that into the church and setting expectations of people in the church to follow those Jewish, uh, the Jewish law, Jewish traditions. So Paul is writing into these issues and all of the nuances and all of the things that uh, are going on there and he's trying to reinforce the power and the truth of the gospel message and how does he approach this subject well in the particular passages we're looking at 11 to 15 what he's going to do is he's going to turn everybody's attention to the power of the cross everything that was accomplished on the cross and through the cross for you and for me and for the church there in Colossus. So that's what he's going to do. And let me just say, the cross, um, everything that Jesus accomplished is for everybody who has ever lived in the past. It's a lot of people. And everybody who would ever live in the future. The cross of Jesus was the landmark in all of history. All of history before the cross was pointing towards it, and everything since the cross has been pointing back towards that moment in history. And whether you're a believer or not, every time you write the date, when you write 2022, right, on your, on your uh, form that you fill in, you are writing down an indication of that moment in history in which time changed, everything changed. It, it's 2022 years after the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And every time you write a day, every time you open the calendar app on your phone, it should be a reminder of that point in history. The cross of Jesus is right in the middle of it. And you don't have to go far today without seeing a symbol of that cross, whether it's a golden one on a church steeple. Man, we should get one of those, right? No, joke. Um, whether it's a, one, a beautiful one, you know, stitched into your leather-bound Bible, you pick one up from footprints during the week, but whether, or whether it's, you know, you see a, a footballer do it before they take to the pitch. The, the symbol of the cross is far-reaching, but let me tell you, the power of the cross is so much further-reaching than that. The, the power and the significance of what it means, it's so powerful. It's so much further reaching. And the power of the cross, let me tell you, I've been a Christian now for over 20 years. It has transformed my life from the inside out. And, and if you don't know about this power, we're going to talk about it a little bit. But let me tell you, it will transform your life if you allow it. And, and that's my prayer, really, for this next... Um, well, I've got a couple of hours. Next couple of hours that I'm speaking, I'm joking. The next 20 minutes that I'm speaking, my prayer is is that we can fix our hearts, just like Paul wants the church in Colossae to do, to fix our hearts, our eyes and our attention on the power of the cross and the significance of what happened there, of what Jesus accomplished. 
So Lord, fix our eyes on you. Fix our eyes on the cross and allow us to be transformed by you. Amen. Okay, so the first thing that he points out, that he brings out, is these three significant moments. The death, the burial, and the resurrection. In verse 11, he says, (coughs) excuse me, in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision, not performed by human hands, your whole self ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Like I said, Paul is having to deal with some uh, Jewish traditions and law. And one of these things that keeps coming through, one of these customs that keeps coming through, right the way through the New Testament, as we see as he continuously writes to the churches, we see him have to deal with this, the issue of circumcision. Um, and how the is- Israelite, uh, those from the Israelite nation, the Jews within the church, would have been basically asking the, asking the people, they need to be, you know, you need to be circumcised if you're going to be part of this. And Paul is constantly trying to prove that it is no longer required. Um, All Jewish men were required to be circumcised at eight days. Eight days old babies were circumcised. And if you would like to trans, you know, change your life and, and follow the God of Israel, to follow Yahweh, if you wanted to become from a Gentile and and be uh, part of the Israelite nation, part of that covenant promise, that's one of the things you would have to do. It's about a two-year two year process to be part of the Israelite nation. You would have to be circumcised as part of that. Yikes. Um, and look, here's the thing. I, I know you're excited to be talking about circumcision. I mean, I know I am. I'm sure you talk about it all the time. Uh, but the reality is, it's a, it's a funny thing for me to be talking about up here, but the reality is, for these Jews who were part of the church in Colossae, this was just a normal part of life. And this would have been something absolutely fine until somebody in the church has a baby and it's a boy. And then, the, you know, the guys who kind of from the Jewish tradition would have been like, hey, you day seven today, like what time do you want us at your house tomorrow? Okay, like we've got we've to whip that thing off. We've got we to gotta do this thing, right? And then can you imagine like, no, no, we don't need to do that. Oh, but we do, you know, no, we don't. So Paul is having to address this time and time again. But Paul is clear, uh, Paul is clear again and again that it's no longer necessary. Um, Philippians 3, verse 3 says, for it is we who are the circumcision. It's an odd term. We're going to get into it. We who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. No confidence in the flesh. Circumcision in the church, it had become this representation of the issue of not understanding the true meaning of what Jesus had accomplished on the cross. And, and Paul is almost like, hey, hey, we the fact that this is an issue means that you don't get something. So I need to make sure you really get what Jesus accomplished because we're still talking about the old knife trick, right? So we, we need to talk here. Circumcision involved stripping away a small piece of the flesh, but Paul uh, uses this gruesome metaphor to, to describe what happened in the crucifixion. He says of the cross, the death of Jesus... It involved not just a stripping away of a small piece of the body, but actually there was this violent removal of his entire body in death. And Paul is saying 
to the Colossians that all those who were in Christ, actually what happened as believers spiritually, you shared with this circumcision. You shared in the death of Jesus on the cross. He says that we shared in that death that our body that is the flesh, that we're born, you know, serving the flesh under the power of the flesh. He's saying that was cut away and it was taken away on the cross. And as Jesus, his whole body was taken away on the cross. We share in that when we put our faith and belief in him. Uh, and, And that's been cut away and is now dead. It's died. It's gone. And, and the fact that they kept coming back to this showed that they still had a sense of self-righteousness. Like, I need to be circumcised in order to be accepted. And Paul's having to say, like, that's not how it works anymore. Jesus has done everything. You don't need to do anything, right, other than respond to what Jesus has done. Romans 6, verse 6 says, For we know that our old self, so our flesh, the flesh that we're born into, it died, spiritually speaking, don't worry. It died. It died. It was crucified with him. So that the body that was ruled by sin, spiritually, it is done and it is done away with. It's gone. It's died on the cross. It has been circumcised, cut off. And... and there is no longer a need for a physical circumcision because, the, because there has been a, phys, a spiritual one. Listen, your old body on the cross, this is so significant, your body on the cross, the one that used to serve the flesh and the needs of the flesh and the wants of the flesh, on that cross with Jesus, it died and it was taken away. You have been born again. Do you remember Jesus speaking to Nicodemus? You have to be born again. That's what happened on the cross. Your old self died. You are a new creation. All that used to have power over you, all that was wrong, it no longer rules over you. That is not who you are anymore. It's been cut off. It's been circumcised. It's died on the cross. It was cut away and it was thrown away. And Galatians 5, 19 to 25, it says, The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. We've talked about a lot of stuff this morning. I warn you. As I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit, people, is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no such law. No law, sorry. Those who belong to Christ Jesus, listen to this, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with all of its passions and desires since we, you, live by the Spirit. Let us keep in step with the Spirit. All that the flesh drew us into, it has no power over us anymore. It's been cut off. It's been circumcised. And now you have new life in him, not ruled by the flesh, but by the Spirit. But Paul also goes on to say, 
that you know that you died. He's going to switch straight into another metaphor real quick. He says, "Hey," and uh, he goes into baptism uh, pictures, and he says that you were not only did you die, but you were buried with Christ. And if you've been baptized, some of you were baptized right here this year, and as you were uh, baptized, you are buried with Christ. You remember the imagery of going down into the water, and if you pay the person baptizing you, they'll bring you back up, right? And, and you come back up out of the water. And what does that signify? Just say it out for me. New life, resurrection, being alive in Christ. The, the flesh has died. It's been cut off. It's been circumcised, whatever word you want to use. And you've been buried with Christ. That old life has gone. And instead, you come up into new life with him. Verse 12 said, having been buried with him in baptism, but the joy and the hope of all believers is, is that, you know, there's this death, there's this burial, but in Christ, there is this movement that happens afterwards, and it, is, it signifies the resurrection, the new life. When we are in Christ, when we are in him, when we put our faith in him, there is new life to be had, not, not just in the future, not just when you die, right? Like, but right now, you experience a new life in him. It's a life of freedom, and we're going to talk about that in just a second. But we experience new life in him. And when people come out of that pool, in the baptism pool, and they come into that resurrection stance of, I've come back up, you represent, I'm now alive in Christ. He is, I am in Christ. Romans 6, 8 to 11. Now, if we died with Christ. We believe that we also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead, dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. The truth is, <clears throat> and the reality for those this morning who have put their faith in Jesus spiritually, you have been circumcised. You have been, you, your old self has died. You have been buried. You don't need to do anything anymore other than accept what Jesus has done for you. But that you also, like Jesus, have been raised to new life, to live in him. And being in him, in Christ means that we share in everything that he's accomplished through his death, through his, uh, by believing in him, we share in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. We receive the eternal benefits of his work, and we enter into this new covenant relationship with our Father, God. Everything is healed. Everything is restored. Everything is done, and it's all because of Jesus, all because of him. We die to our former way of life when we turned away from our sins. And in this new life, we, we pledge to be disciples of Jesus and to be part of a new covenant family like this one that we're in right here this morning. That's what we do. And then he, he hammers the message home, quite literally, with the metaphor of being nailed to the cross. He says in verse 13, he says, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. That's what he's done. He forgave us 
all our sins. Everybody say that again. All of our sins. Which sins? All of them. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. You see, not only have you been delivered from the bondage, from the mastery of sin and death, but also from the guilt of sin. I'm going to share a story with you real quick. Um, I may have shared this before, but if I have, it just shows how sorry I am about this thing. Okay, so when I was about 14, uh, 15, 16, I would say, um, I became a believer in a, in a Baptist church in Redcar. And um, my friend Kev and I, uh, we used to hang out every day. And his mum had keys to the church building, which was awesome. We, we just started learning how to play instruments. So I was playing guitar. He was drumming. And uh, we were, you know, obviously really cool. And rock, rocking out. Um, rocking out at the church building. It was a great place to go. But occasionally we would do things that we look back on and we think they're not so funny now, but they were funny at the time. And one of those things was one day we were in the building and we were in the kitchen and having a cup of tea and, uh, and we realized there was two sinks in the kitchen and we realized that the, the taps on, on, on the sinks the, the colors on the taps, you could change them over quite easily. So we uh, took the red and switched it to blue and blue to red. And we did it on both sinks. We thought it was quite funny, finished our cup of tea and went back to rocking out. What we didn't realize is Kev's mum, who was obviously part of the church, she, she uh, managed a homeless charity. And that night, they had a meal for around 100 people connected to this charity at that church, in that church building at the, at the hall. And they had about 100 people and everything went really well until it came time to wash the pots. And, um, it, and all they could get was freezing cold water out the taps. And, um, and what they did is they washed the pots in this ice cold water while they waited for the emergency plumber to come out to figure, oh no, to figure out why why the plum why why the boiler wasn't working properly anyway so after a while of the plumber being there he realized that uh you know the hot was cold and cold was hot and um yeah um i'm not i'm not proud of that moment i, I can't say it's one of my finest moments actually phil who led that church he's here uh, next month speaking as part of the series so i'm sure he'll tell you how bad I was. But, but here's the thing, right? I, I, I carry a sense of guilt, right, with that story. I even telling you it to, it to you now. Like, you know, I feel ashamed. But actually, the reality is, is that's a funny, silly, stupid teenager story. But the reality is for, for some people in the room, the stories get a lot worse than that. You know, the, the stories actually that you carry around with you about the things that you've done, about the things that you've allowed to happen, about the guilt that you carry, about things that maybe you said or things that you didn't intercede into, things that you, where you fail to take action. Actually, you know, you, you have those stories that are a little bit lighthearted. I was just, it was just a bit of fun, didn't realize. But actually, for some of you, the stories get a lot more serious than that. The guilt actually goes a lot deeper than that. The shame goes a lot deeper. There's the times where you didn't step in. You didn't say anything. And you carry that with you, even today. 
Actually, the, the things that you do in secret and then you think, actually, I'm really glad people don't know about that. I don't know if I'd be long anymore. You see, the Bible says that the, the guilt is our record of debt to God. It's almost like our guilt is like an I or you to God, and it's signed by your own hand. It, it, it's signed, signed by us, and it shows all of the sin, that all the times that we've sinned against God. We need to, the times where we've, we've brought death into the world, where we've hurt somebody or where we've allowed somebody to be hurt. It's times where we've been greedy or negligent or selfish or we've been unloving, unkind or unwilling. And what happens, whether, whether you believe God or not, here's the thing, you, you know people who believe God and you know people who don't believe God. And the reality is, is that the, the weight of guilt and shame, it, it weighs heavy on everybody. And it gets to a point where for everybody, they get to a, a, a tipping point where they can no longer deal with the guilt or the shame that they're carrying. Everybody, whether they believe God's real or not, they get to a point where they can't carry the guilt or the shame anymore. In Roman culture, in Roman society, the, the images that this would have brought forward from Paul's letter was uh, if you were in debt to somebody, say, for example, John, John loaned me a, a thousand pounds, for example, for my gas bill, and he loaned me a thousand pounds, there would be a public notice of my, of, of my debt to John that would be placed in public. So everybody would know that I am in debt. And the images that this would have brought forward, and actually, in, in the culture, my relationship would never quite be right with John until I'd paid that debt back to him. That things would have been difficult, right, with that person. And things with God are difficult when you have guilt and shame hanging over you. Your relationship never feels quite right. And yet we have this beautiful image. Matthew 27, 37 says this. It says, above his head, this is Jesus, they placed a written charge against him. This is Jesus, king of the Jews. It was a charge that was placed above Jesus' head, his guilt as they saw it. This was his crime above his head. And what Paul is saying is that, listen, when Jesus was on that cross, he took every single I or you that you have, every single sin, every single thing that you owed God, every single thing that brings you guilt or shame, whether it's public or private, and he took them all and he nailed them to a cross. He took them and he put them above his own head. The J.B. Uh, Phillips Bible translation, it says, He has forgiven all your sins. Christ has utterly wiped out damning evidence of broken laws and commandments which always hung over our heads. He has completely annulled them, wiped them out. They're gone by nailing it over his own head on the cross. They're gone. They're, they're paid. Listen, your debt's gone. Every single I or you that you had, it's gone. No, you, listen, it's gone. Your sin, your shame, 
the things that haunt you, things you never wish you did, you are right with God. Put your faith in Jesus and you are right with God. The power of the cross, it not only calls us into a new life with him where the old life is gone, the flesh is dead, it's, it's died on the cross and it's been buried, but we experience a new resurrection life in him, living by his spirit right now, right now. But not only that, the, the guilt and the shame that, you're, that you would have been left with has also been removed so that you can enjoy your new life with Jesus. Listen, Jesus didn't just come to pay your bill, right? He didn't just come to, to deal with your sin. He left a tip as well. His generosity towards the ones that he loves is never-ending. He took away all that could have a hold on us. The guilt, the shame, the regret, it's all gone and broken by the power of the cross. Everything was accomplished. Everything was dealt with. So listen, I'm going to finish. I'm going to ask Steve and the guys to come up. And the last thing, for, last thing I want to say, I want to ask you two things. The first thing that I want to say to you before we finish is if you have never experienced, I don't know everybody in the room this morning, if you've never experienced what I'm talking about here, if, if you've never experienced what this new, new life is in Christ, then I want to encourage you to choose Jesus right now, to choose him. I want you to say this morning, Lord Jesus, I want to put my faith in you. And this means that I get to share in everything that was accomplished through, through your death, through your burial, and through your resurrection. I want to receive this new life that can only be found in you, Jesus. And I want to enter into a new relationship with you this morning, God. And now, Jesus, I understand what you said when you said that I am the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus, I understand that there is no way to Father God except through you. And lastly, whether you're a believer in this room or not this morning, I believe that God wants to do some business with us right now. So I want to encourage every one of you to stand. Whether you're a believer or not, I believe that this morning Jesus wants to speak to you. And he wants to take something from your life and nail it to the cross. Maybe you walked in this morning, actually, and you just said, Jesus, I'm just so ashamed. I don't know what to do. I just feel Jesus wants to say to you this morning, it's paid for. I paid for it. It's taken away. Come on, let's nail it to the cross. It has no power over you anymore. Romans 8 says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus.
No condemnation for you. Lord God, I just pray right now that we would be open to you, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come and fill this room. Speak to us of the truths of what you've done in our lives. Mm -hmm.